Section four of the Black Cat, Volume one, number nine, June eighteen ninety six. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rita Boutros. The Black Cat, Volume one, number nine, June eighteen ninety six. Section four. The Second Edition by Gake Turner "'How are things going?' asked the city editor, as he came in at six o'clock that evening. "'Rank,' replied his assistant. "'No end of cranks. This room's been a regular gibbering lunatic asylum all the afternoon. First one fellow came in with an electric fly-killer, and then another with a bicycle sidewalk cleaner, sort of a snow-sweeper.' and another had a patent compressed food pill, and there were several hundred men with communications to the editor. I'm all wasted away standing them off. That epileptic patient was up again, too, threatening to have a fit on our nice clean floor if we didn't put in a correction for him. He's the worst of the lot. He's a cuckoo, he is. What does he want now? queried the chief. He's had one item. That's what I told him. I said he'd been arrested for stealing and we'd publish the fact, and that when the police released him we published that too. What else did he want? But he seemed to expect us to pledge ourselves to the dear public that he was innocent. Then I told him we hadn't said he was guilty in the first place, and in the second place the police thought he was guilty, only they couldn't quite prove it. Anyway, we couldn't be expected to get out a fourteen-page paper every day vindicating him. Oh, we got quite heated up over it. Had a regular joint debate on his previous record. I rather thought he'd be here when you came in. But by and by I tired him out, I guess, and he left. He wanted to know if the office was open this evening. I told him yes it was, till four o'clock tomorrow morning. Considering we were a morning paper, we generally had to keep open nights. It was 3.55 a.m., and the telegraph editor was cursing the newspaper business for the 111th time during the night. All of it was bad enough, he assured himself, but it was ghastly human sacrifice to compel a man to spend a large fraction of his life waiting two hours every morning after good night had come over the telegraph wire, to prevent a scoop on an impossible piece of telephone news. He rattled the waste copy and newspapers before him off on the floor in an indiscriminate and wholesale attempt to clear up for the next day. The yellow glow from his electric lamp, hemmed in by its green paper shade, shone down across his face, and made his desk a little island of golden light in the big black newsroom. The monotonous ticking of the old office clock filled the empty space with its exaggerated noise. Outside he heard the groups of compositors, as they were discharged, go laughing and clattering down the stairway, until their noise died away in the lower stories, and disappeared into the street. After a little silence there was another step that he couldn't account for, a peculiar shambling step, evidently directed upstairs. 
Probably he thought it was the janitor, or one of the compositors who had forgotten something and was coming back. Only it didn't seem like the janitor's walk, and the compositors seldom took that kind of gait when they were hurrying back. The strange step passed directly by the composing room and into the editorial hall, and the big glass door slammed after it. It wavered and stopped at the local room, and then, after a moment, continued down the corridor, hesitating from time to time as its owner shook violently at the doors of the editorial writer's rooms, and then at last it passed on by degrees until it stopped definitely at the threshold of the newsroom. "'Where's the editor?' asked a voice from outer darkness. "'I'm one of the editors,' said the telegraph man, looking up. "'You ain't the one I saw,' said the voice suspiciously. "'Tall, fat fellow with a big mustache. What do you call him?' "'Oh, he's the city editor,' said the telegraph man. "'Yes, that's it. Where's he?' "'Gone. Gone!' The stranger had come up into the penumbra around the electric light. He was a tall, thin man in a slouch hat and a pale brown overcoat. In one hand he carried a slip of paper, and in the other something metallic, apparently, that looked like a bunch of gas-pipe. He was a peculiar-looking man. His face was long and white, and his hands were painfully bony, and his eyes certainly did look queer. He had the air of a person who wanted something very badly, and had made up his mind to have it very soon. The telegraph man sized him up for a crank. "'Yes,' said that functionary. "'He's been gone for two or three hours.' He began to get up and reached out for the lamp, hoping to shut off debate simultaneously with the light. "'Hold on,' said the stranger, with the air of one having authority." The telegraph editor was a little man whose best stock in trade in a heated argument was always discretion, and the stranger loomed up indefinitely above him. After a second's hesitation, the editor decided to reason with him. "'What do you want to have done?' he said. "'I've got a correction here you've got to make,' said the stranger. "'Oh, I can't do that sort of thing,' said the telegraph man cheerfully. "'You'll have to see the city editor. "'Come around this afternoon, about two o'clock.' He reached up his hand again to the electric light. "'You sit down,' said the stranger, with a tone of frank determination. At the same time he brought his right hand up into the light with the bunch of gas-pipe. It was a revolver with a bore like a small tunnel.' He pressed the muzzle up against one eyebrow of the telegraph man, who stared wildly down along the barrel and saw the conical bullets peeping out of their holes in the cylinder, like the heads of nasty little animals peering out of their burrows. He sat down hurriedly. The old office clock ticked loud and apprehensively. Outside in the hall, the foreman of the composing room and his assistant closed the rear of the procession of compositors and left the telegraph man alone on the floor with his visitor. The silence was very impressive. "'I ain't coming up here again,' the stranger said finally. "'I've come often enough already. I've been thinking this thing over all night long, and now I'm going to have it in the paper tomorrow.' and it's going to be in to suit me this time. 
I have written it out myself. Here, you read that. That's what I want. He let down his revolver with his right hand and brought up the piece of paper in his left. It was a dirty sheet, torn out of a blank book, apparently, covered with coarse writing in a lead pencil and blurred and dirty with erasures. The telegraph man lapped off his lips a couple of times and began to scan the paper obediently. This is what he read. The hell-brats of the law say that Mr. Abel Hoffenheimer is a thief. They lie. He ain't a thief, and they know it. But still they hold him, and they throw him into loathsome cells, and persecute him always with their deadly hate. They have their reasons for doing what they do. There is a conspiracy against him, a blood-red, stony-hearted, hell-fed conspiracy. We know what it is, and who made it, and they would hound him to his death if they only could. But let them beware. We know what, but we ain't saying. Only this much— their time will come. As for us not wanting to do no man no injury, we go down on our knees, and we lap the dust before him, and eat all the words we have wrote about him. That's it, said the stranger appreciatively, when the telegraph man had quavered through this text. Now, what do you call your head man, the boss of the place, I mean? Managing editor, responded his victim meekly. What's his name? queried the stranger. Mr. Penfield. Well, you write at the end of that. Signed, and then you put down his name. So the telegraph man wrote down at the bottom, Signed, Erastus J. Penfield, Managing Editor. Now that's the way you're going to put it in, said the stranger. But I can't put it in tomorrow. All the compositors have gone home, said the telegraph man plaintively. This statement had an unpleasant effect on the stranger. It excited him. "'You're an editor, ain't you?' he asked. "'Yes, that is, yes, I suppose I am.' "'Well, an editor can get an item into the paper, can't he?' continued the stranger with convincing logic. "'Yes,' said the telegraph man, "'but he can't print them. The compositors do that, you know.' The stranger didn't know about that. All he knew was that the correction was going in, and if there wasn't anybody else to do it, the telegraph man would have to do it himself. "'But I can't print. I'd like to, first-rate,' said the telegraph man pathetically, "'but I can't. I never printed anything in my life.' But the stranger was obdurate. He said the editor would have to learn, because that correction was going in. "'This paper didn't treat me right. No, it didn't,' he went on. "'It said I stole.' The memory of his wrongs made him rather maudlin for a minute. The telegraph man didn't like to see him maudlin, because it made him wave his gun about in such a careless, irresponsible way. But the stranger was not long in mastering his emotions. "'You see that?' he said, shoving the tunnel of the revolver into the telegraph man's face again. The telegraph man confessed that he saw it. "'If I let that off into you, you darned little runt,' the stranger continued, "'there wouldn't be anything left of you but a rim. Now it's either one thing or the other. Either I get that correction, or I feed you what's in there. I'm going to have that item corrected if I have to wipe out everybody in this concern, one after another, 
and I'd just as soon begin with you as anybody. Now are you going to give me that correction, or ain't you? I'll try, murmured the telegraph man. So they formed in single file, and marched out through the crooked hall into the composing room without further remarks. The telegraph man, who went ahead, felt the cold wind blowing out of that revolver on the back of his neck every step, and he wasn't in the mood for frivolous conversation. The only remark made by the stranger was to the effect that he was damned if he didn't believe he'd shoot him anyway, which the telegraph man was prayerfully pleased to consider a selfish and unprofitable jest. The procession passed into the stale tobacco smoke of the jet-black and deserted composing room, and halted while the telegraph man turned on the electric light. It then passed on again to the speaking tube to the press-room, where the telegraph man carefully explained that he was free from guile in calling up the people downstairs, because the press always had to be stopped when a correction was made. The stranger said nothing, but poked the end of the tunnel into the cerebellum of the telegraph man with great eloquence. Then the telegraph man rang the electric bell. "'Hello,' he said to the head stereotyper. "'You'll have to have them stop the press and put on another page.' It was 4.15 o'clock. The language of the head stereotyper was unparliamentary in the extreme. What was the use, he argued, at this time of morning? It's a correction. I've just got to make it, said the telegraph editor, feeling the ring of the revolver barrel crowded into the back of his head. Really, I've got to. It's very important. The head stereotyper appreciated the necessity of a very important correction, though his tone of voice didn't indicate it. Well... "'Get a gate on you,' he said, among other things. "'It'll only be in the city anyway.' Downstairs the rattling of the big press diminished and stopped. The procession in the composing room formed again, and marched to the switch that turned on the current to the dynamo, and the gearing of the typesetting machines started up. The telegraph man blessed the day that typesetting machines were invented.' and also the time when he learned the general principles of them. If it had been sticking type now that had to be done! But it wasn't sticking type, and there was a slight ray of hope. He went around behind the first machine, lit the gas under the metal pot, and then came back and sat down at the keyboard. The rest of it was easy now. He needed only work the keyboard like a typewriter. The machine did the rest, he never had operated the thing, but he had seen it done hundreds of times. At this moment an idea struck the half-paralyzed brain of the telegraph man. He could print anything he wanted to, he thought, and his visitor wouldn't know the difference. He actually started out to do this. "'Hold on there,' said the man. "'How do I know what you're printin'?' "'Well, I don't suppose you do,' admitted the telegraph man." "'I'm going to,' said the managing editor pro tem, "'and you've got to show me.' "'Well, I suppose I can show you a proof,' said the unfortunate editor in despair. "'Say, take that revolver away from my neck,' he added. "'I can't work this one that's there. "'I've made a mistake already. "'Now I'll have to begin all over again.' 
so a compromise was agreed upon and the stranger looked over the telegraph man's shoulder in intense silence as he painfully pecked away at the keyboard and the matrices jingled down the machine into their places the performance occupied some eras for the telegraph man but at last it was done then the procession formed again and went over and took a proof on the proof machine it wasn't a very artistic piece of printing that appeared but as the telegraph man reminded his chief pro tem it was his first attempt and you couldn't expect too much his chief finally passed it but he was particular about its position i want that where everybody's gonna see it he said now where's the place your boss puts what he writes the telegraph man murmured it was the editorial page and the stranger said that was what he wanted so the editorial form was hauled out and the correction went in at the head of the first column in double leads the telegraph man jabbed out a small editorial on the foreign question to make a place for it hammered down the page as level as he could screwed it up and sent it down the form elevator when they heard the press starting up again the telegraph man explained that the correction was made but the stranger intimated that he did his business in a more thorough manner reading a proof might be all right but he required further assurances when do i see the paper he asked why if you want to you can see it right now just let me go down after it i'd be very glad to get it for you said the telegraph man starting for the stairway immediately in his anxious effort to oblige oh no you don't said the stranger the telegraph man didn't ain't there any other way to get that paper up here asked the former with a meaning flourish of his revolver well yes there is they can send it up by the pneumatic tube in the newsroom i guess admitted the editor this idea being satisfactory an adjournment was made to the newsroom and the paper was called for down the speaking tube it came up immediately fresh and warm from the press supposing said the telegraph man to himself with horror that correction doesn't satisfy him now but fortunately the contributor was very much satisfied with his appearance in print he read it over himself first and then invited the telegraph man to read it aloud in order that he might get the general effect the telegraph man's elocution wasn't very artistic in fact he found some difficulty in reading at all but apparently it delighted the stranger for he encored continually indeed the telegraph man had floundered through this bit of unique journalism a dozen times and could hardly wag his tongue when his guest was finally satiated well i guess that'll do he said at last then having instructed the telegraph man that he needn't venture out of the newsroom before seven a m unless he were anxious to be filled full of holes he left with a final dramatic flourish of the revolver the last the telegraph man saw of him he was striding majestically out of the newsroom door waving his paper in one hand and his gun in the other with the proud air of a man whose mission in life was accomplished what the telegraph man said when he was found by the janitor late that morning will never be put into print 
and the managing editor, when he opened his paper at the breakfast table, well, what do you think the managing editor said? End of section 4